Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Cool. Good morning, everyone. Um, let me just put this here. While I warm up, because it's very cold this morning, um, maybe just ask yourself or ask the person next to you, um, is God faithful? Okay. Bit of a, a random question, but um, we sort of want to answer that with the, the Sunday school question. Jesus, you know, it's always the right one. But uh, yeah, um, welcome this morning. And uh, for those of you who do not know who I am, my name is Louis May, and I am married to the beautiful Catherine here in the front. And um, yeah, I have been in Shofar for about four years now. And uh, I am really excited today to talk about a third topic in a series of faith that I've been speaking about over the past two, three months. Um, and when I say I'm excited, I really am excited for this word. Um, we have, if you have missed the previous two sermons, like, please go have a listen over them. They are on YouTube, and uh, there are some really funny jokes in there, um, much funnier than that one. But um, one consistent thread throughout our series of faith so far has been Romans 4. And I'm going to start there this morning, and we're going to read through Romans 4, 13 to 25. So if you have your phone or your Bible with you, you can just read with me, please. And we're reading out of the NIV, and it says, It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through the righteousness that comes by faith. For if those who depend on the law are heirs, faith means nothing and the promise is worthless, because the law brings wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, the promise comes by faith, so that it may be by grace and may be guaranteed to all Abraham's offspring, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham. He is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God, in whom he believed, the God who gives life to the dead and calls into being things that were not. And against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, and since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So I just want to pray for us. Lord Jesus, we want to come to you this morning, Lord, and we want to thank you, Lord. We want to thank you for your word, Lord. We want to thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, and I want to pray, Lord, that every single word that is said this morning, Lord, may it uh, be through your Holy Spirit, Lord. Pray, Lord, that nothing will be said that you don't want to be said, Lord. And, 
Lord, we pray for every heart this morning. We pray that our hearts will be open, Lord. I pray against every distraction, Lord. And I pray that you would really give us understanding this morning, Holy Spirit, to really understand the amazing, the amazing significance, Lord, behind your faithfulness. And we thank you for that. Amen. Okay. So, um, like I said, we've tackled two topics before on faith. And um, the one definition of faith we sort of um, pulled through all of the, the faith series has been a definition which comes from Romans 4.21. And it says, faith is being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he alone has the power to perform and adjusting our lives accordingly. So I did this before, so I'm going to ask that you repeat this with me because hopefully by the end of this that this is really stuck in your head. So faith is being fully persuaded that what God has promised, he alone has the power to perform and adjusting our lives accordingly. So um, I'm going to give a quick overview just over the first two topics. And so the first topic was faith's object being God's promise. And so we established that God does give promises and that he alone is the one who can fulfill his promises. And also testing those promises that we, also testing the promises that we hope for to ensure that they are in fact from God. And then the second one we looked at was faith's focus. And this was a focus on God. Um, and we, we looked at what our, focus in the, what our focus is in the journey, um, trusting God for his promise. And then how quickly circumstances can shift our focus from the Lord to the world and allowing us to waver through unbelief. So those were the first two topics. But this morning I want to speak about, I want to speak about a, a topic which we can almost look at as the foundation for the first two. And this is why I'm actually really excited about this word. And today's title is Faith's Feebleness and God's Faithfulness. So I'm going to say that again. So Faith's Feebleness and God's Faithfulness. Another word for feebleness is weakness. So Faith's Weakness and God's Faithfulness. Um, and I, I just want to start this morning by asking you a question. Um, this don't, it won't be a discussion. But just be brutally honest with yourself this morning. Um, so who here has made promises to themselves before? <laughs> Good hands anyways. Um, yeah, some New Year resolution surfacing maybe. Um, okay, and a follow-up question. Who has been faithful to every single one of those promises? So would you say, would you say uh, you've been feeble or faithful to those promises? Okay, let's move away from ourselves. It's more comfortable to talk about other people. Um, who here has received a promise from someone close to you before? Your wife, your children, your father, your mother. Um, and who here can say that that person has been 100% faithful in every single promise they've made? Feeble or faithful? So um, the, this thing of promises makes me think of weddings. And um, I used to attend quite a few 
weddings because I used to film them and I got to see a lot of interesting things. But one thing I did sort of um, pick up over all the weddings I've attended is that there are, there's this moment where you can drop a pin because of the silence in the room and that's usually when the bride and groom stops and they turn to one another and they give each other these promises, right? They make their vows to one another. Um, and the question is, why do we become so quiet? And I think it's because we, you know, we get to witness the terms of these two people's covenant, right? The promises that are, they're making towards one another. And uh, I've heard a lot of light-hearted ones, which I doubt are kept, like I promise to pick up my socks from the floor, or I promise to bring you coffee in the morning, you know, um, or I promise to, f- or I promise to um, laugh at your bad jokes. Yeah, I think that fades quite quickly. But uh, then you get the ones that really matter. And, uh, and then we get to the heart of the matter, and it says, you know, then we say to one another, I promise to forsake all others, you know, until death do us part. And, and we say these things to one another, but... Um, and actually what we're saying carries so much weight. But how many people do you know stood, made those promises, stepped into that covenant but are divorced today? And, sorry. This is, this is really hard to take in. This is not a light matter. But I think it becomes quite clear We live in a world with people, including ourselves, who disappoint. We live in a world with people who are feeble. And in fact, no one is faithful. Um, Otherwise, we won't use the phrases like, don't trust anyone. Or, it's too good to be true. You know, or um, put it in writing, you have to protect yourself. Who's heard that one before? Um, why do we need stuff like anti-natural contracts or contracts between or business contracts between family and friends? Because deep down in all of us, we struggle to trust. Not because trust is hard, but because there is a really bad track record of trust in humanity throughout. And... Um, This might sound harsh, but even Jesus knew this. And if we look at John 2, 23 to 25, um, it says, Now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. And so Jesus, these people say, Lord, we believe in your name, we believe you. And Jesus, it says that Jesus did not entrust himself to them because he knew who man is. He knew what was inside man. And he knew, for example, the people who's now saying we believe in your name might be the ones that scream, crucify him later on. And so if we as a people, if we as individuals struggle to trust and our view of trust or faith is really not a good one, how do we respond when God, God says, trust me? Do we impose our own failure onto God's faithfulness? 
And um, or the big and bigger question that we can ask is like, it's not the question like, will God be faithful? Can we trust God? But can we trust ourselves to be faithful toward God? And uh, how can we be sure that we won't waver like Abraham did when it comes to the promise of God, like we read in Romans 4.21? So I'm just going to read Genesis 15 for us. And this is, we're going to talk about the life of Abraham a little bit. And we're going to cover what Paul is taking on in Romans 4 when he speaks of Abraham not wavering through unbelief and speaks of the righteousness. And let's go have a look and see like what actually happened here and why can Paul actually say this about Abraham's life. So Genesis 15, 1, it says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, What can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him, This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, Look up to the sky and count the stars. If indeed you can count him, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. He also said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. But Abraham said, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? And so we're going to stop there for now. So Genesis 15 starts with God, God's word coming to Abraham and saying, opening a statement of like, do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your, I am your shield. I am your great reward. So if a God who is almighty and has no lack approaches you and says, I am your shield, I am your great reward, there's no place for lack there. But Abraham actually responds to God and says, I don't have a son, Lord. He says, what is the point? What he's actually saying to God is like, what is the point of giving me this amazing reward of being my reward if I don't have an inheritance to share this reward with? And God says to him, this man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look to the heavens. He says, look at the stars. And who of you have stopped to like look at the stars, the amount of them they are? And he says, like, this is your inheritance. Like, this is the amount of offspring you will have. And then Abram responds and says, and he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. So that's, Such an amazing response from Abraham, right? Going from a place where he's like, Lord, but I don't have a son. And then the Lord says to him, like, I will give you a son. And Abraham's like, I believe you. (laughs) I'm with you. I believe in your power, Lord. I believe that you will give me these things. And scripture says, in that moment, it was credited to him as righteousness. 
But two verses later, we see Abraham asking a doubtful question. And he says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? So how can, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? You see, he's not, saying, he's not saying, Lord, how can I know that you will give me these things? He's not saying that. He's saying, how will I know that I will gain possession of it? So Abraham's not doubting in God, but he's doubting in himself. And he's actually asking the Lord, how will I know that I will be good enough to take hold of this promise? Like, I trusted you in verse 6 because that was on you, but how do I know that I will not fail you in this? And you see, Abraham's doubt was not in God, but his doubt was in his own ability. And the Lord answers Abraham's question, not with, he doesn't walk to him and talk to him or give him this amazing statement, but he says to him in verse 9, So the Lord said to him, Bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. Abram brought all these to him, cut them in two, and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Then birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep, And a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And we're going to skip to verse 17. When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I give this land, and I'm going to stop there. He just mentions a whole lot of difficult locations to mention. But um, we're going to stop with, And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. And so, quite a weird piece. Abraham asked this question, and then God says, bring me animals. Um, And then we are sort of taken into this path where Abraham cuts the animals in half, places them across one another, and then he falls asleep. And then while Abraham falls asleep, we see a fire pot um, and a torch, I imagined him floating, but, you know, sort of walking through these animals that's been placed while Abraham's asleep. And so, what exactly does that mean? What exactly happened here? And so, to give a little bit of a background, Abraham knew, when God said to him, bring me these animals, Abraham knew that what God is actually saying to him now is that, let's make a covenant. Let's sign a contract for your question. Because previously, Abraham just asked, how do I know that I, I won't fail? And God says, bring these animals, let's make a covenant. And so what is a covenant? We know today, like the closest thing we get to it today is like a, a marriage. But a, a covenant in the biblical age was... It is a chosen relationship or partnership in which two parties make binding promises to each other and work together to reach a common goal. And might I add, it's always relational. So the best example, like I said, is a marriage. But a covenant requires both parties to be faithful. This is the catch. 
Both parties have to be faithful. If one party is faithful but the other is unfaithful, the covenant is still broken. Like in a marriage, if one party is unfaithful and the other is faithful, the covenant is still broken. So what if that, what if that happens, right? The question comes up, what if one party breaks the covenant? So Jer- Jeremiah 34 gives us the result of what will happen to this party who breaks the covenant. And these are God's words himself. And it says, those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. Pretty hectic. Um, and so there are three essential elements to when we are presented with a covenant. There must be blood. There must be blood. And then the animals must be cut in half, like we see in Abraham's story and in Jeremiah. They must be cut in half, and one must be placed parallel with the other. And then the two parties has to walk through the carcasses, and then they stop, and they point, each party points to the animal on the other side and says, may the Lord do this to me if I break this covenant. That's what each party proclaims. And so those are the terms of this covenant. So it was no joke and it was no light thing making a covenant in biblical age. And so the sacrifice, number one, so the sacrifice of the covenant, that being the blood. The terms of the covenant, so meaning that faithful to one another until death do us part, that's like the marriage equivalent of it. And then the sanctions of the covenant. So including with each covenant, you would have a set of blessing and you have a set of curses. And so if you were faithful to the covenant and you met the terms of the covenant, there would be a certain amount of blessing poured over you. But if you broke the covenant, there's obviously the curse that came over you. And so now understanding what a covenant is... um, Let's look again what happens with Abraham here. So Abraham falls asleep and the Bible describes the smoking fire pot and the flaming torch moving in between the animal carcasses. And scripture says, makes a statement, says God made a covenant with Abraham. But we don't see Abraham walking through the carcasses. So how, how was a covenant made with Abraham? if he never walked through the, through the animals or through the carcasses. And so this leaves us actually to look at how amazing God is because God moved through the carcasses himself. But we also read earlier that a covenant had to consist of two parties, had to be two. And so God, when he walked through the carcasses, he didn't represent himself, but he also represented man. We can see it like this, God the Father representing the Godhead and Jesus representing mankind. And so God walking through, and not just Abraham, sorry, not just representing Abraham, but he also represented the seed of Abraham. Because we see that when God actually says to Moses, what are the terms, oh, sorry, to Abraham, 
the terms of this covenant. He says to him, like, I will establish my covenant. This is Genesis 17, 7. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So the covenant God had in mind has always been an everlasting one. To be God to Abraham and all his offspring to all eternity. That is the promise. That is the blessing. That God wants to be God to Abraham and all of his offspring for all eternity. That is the blessing. But how, how can a covenant between two parties be everlasting if one will inevitably be faithful? And this is referring to us. God makes a covenant with Abraham and he wants to make an everlasting covenant. But we will be unfaithful. And so will Abraham. And he proves himself. Genesis 16, Abraham falls and he actually has Ishmael with Hagar. It did not take long for him to actually doubt. And that's why Abraham was valid in asking, Lord, how do I know I might gain possession of it? How do I know that I will be faithful to this covenant? And the answer is actually that he couldn't. We can't. Abraham couldn't. But God answered Abraham's feebleness with his faithfulness. When Abraham asked the question, Lord, how do I know that I will be faithful? God said, I will make a covenant. And I will make a, when I make that covenant with you, I will represent you in that covenant. I will be the faithful party in this covenant. You see, when Jesus represented us, Jesus pointed to the animals and said, if we, meaning mankind, if we break the terms of the covenant, let this be done to me. I'm going to say that again. Jesus represented us as a faithful party and he said, if we, if we break the covenant, the result of that will come unto me. And throughout history, and this is no no secret, we broke covenant with God over and over and over again. And he died a gruesome death. And I never fully understood why a cross, why why such a hectic death. And It's because a broken covenant demanded a brutal death. It demanded nothing else. And he endured that cross and he proclaimed on that cross, it is finished. The covenant, the the curse of the covenant has been paid off. And see, Abram placed his feeble faith in God's faithfulness. And that's what we read in Romans 4, 21 to 25. Abraham being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. 
For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So the question is, what is righteousness? What is this thing that is credited to us? See, you are righteous when you fulfill the terms of the covenant. That's when you're righteous. That's when you stay in right standing with the party on the other side. So when Romans 4 says, Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness, what is that saying? It's saying that God viewed Abraham as if he fulfilled the covenant terms. And the same to us. When we, when we put our faith in the price of Jesus, if we put our faith in what Jesus has done, God then turns around and looks at us as if we have never broken that covenant. As if we fulfill the terms of that covenant. And where Jesus took the curse of the covenant, we receive the blessing of the covenant. And what is that blessing? That is to have the solid foundation to know that until eternity, God will be our God. And Hebrews 10 so affirms this and it just speaks straight to Abraham. It says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And this is why we are counted as righteousness. Not because we are faithful, but because he is faithful. Because this morning God looks at every single one of us and he knows, he understands the feebleness in every single one of our hearts. He knows the doubts, he knows the fears, he knows the places where we will inevitably let him down. But the Lord says, I will meet you with my faithfulness. And God answered Abraham's question and said, you will be faithful in this covenant because it's not up to you. And Hebrews 10 says, like, like we read, he has perfected for all those who are being sanctified. So this doesn't mean that we, we continue with life as we, as we do. This doesn't mean that we continue sinning and stepping over the covenant and breaking the covenant. If you read on in Hebrews from this verse onwards from 26, it actually says like if you continue sinning, it's as if you trample on, this, on the sacrifice of Jesus. It's, it's quite a hard-hitting scripture. 
speaks of this amazing covenant, but then it says, like, if you do not take this covenant serious, you, there will be, it actually says that there will be no more sacrifice left for sin. This is our only way of being seen as faithful. This is our only way of coming to God and saying, Lord, I am feeble and I have nothing to bring, but because of your faithfulness, because of who you are and because of your sacrifice, I am now made holy and I am being sanctified and I get to walk into the holy place. I get to see the Father, not because of me, but because of the way he sees me. And so I just want to pray for us and just want to respond to that. And if you, and maybe the band can just come up if you don't mind, um, and maybe you sit here and, you know, you have made the commitment towards the Lord to step in and say, Lord, I, I believe you and you have been a part of this covenant. But somewhere along the line, we, we allow the enemy to come in and say to us, you are so far from the Lord. The Lord has turned his back on you. He has, doesn't see you. Um, things have changed and that's not true and scripture says this to us we come to him through the flesh through his body and we are washed clean so if you are that person I just want to put out an invitation to you today to actually close your eyes and respond to that and say Lord I have been believing a solid lie Because when I look at scripture, it says that it's not up to me. That your covenant is eternal and you promised to be my God. And your son has never been unfaithful. And I believe in his faithfulness, not in mine. And then the other person I want to speak to this morning is if you have maybe felt like there's no way, there's no way God, you know, will will take me in. I'm actually too far off. I, the things I've done in my life, there's no, there's no space for that in God's kingdom. And I think this is the point. Jesus knew exactly what man was. Jesus was not lied to. He knew what he was walking into when he walked to the cross. He understood every sin. He understood every failure. And I pray that we would see that. I pray that we would see the love that he poured out for us on the cross. That covenant is nothing more than just God's eternal and everlasting love being put on display. And he loves us so much that he's like, I'm, I'm not even going to allow you to screw this up. <laughs> and I hope that we would see that and respond to that that we would walk in the blessings of the covenant and not carry the curse of it if, if it was never ours to carry. So let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, we want to come to you this morning, Lord, hum, humble and, Lord, reading over these things, we still don't really understand, Lord, why you would love us so much, why you would give yourself for us, Lord why you would choose to represent us, Lord, and say that 
I will be their faithful party. I will be the one that is there when we make the covenant, but I will also be the one that pays the price when the covenant was broken. And Lord, you created a new covenant after you paid the price, Lord, a covenant for us to come to you, Lord, to have a relationship with you, to have a relationship with the Father. And may we see, Lord, open our eyes to see the price that you paid for us. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.